All right, New Life East friends, we have a special treat this morning. We are coming in for a landing on our series on the Lord's Prayer with the final petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I thought, who better to talk about temptation and evil? I'm just kidding. I don't know why I said that. It's second service. It gets a Clint. Yeah, okay, there we go. Now, we've got Pastor Jay Duncan of New Life Midtown is in the house this morning. Would you give it up for Jay Duncan? An experienced pastor, an experienced preacher, and he's become one of my dearest friends in the last few years. We're so delighted to have him. So Jay Duncan, would you come on and bring the word one more time? A big New Life East welcome for Jay Duncan. Good morning, New Life East. I'm not exactly sure what that means that I'm most qualified to preach on temptation and evil, but... Well, I send you greetings from Midtown. I'm telling you, what an incredible honor to be a part of such such an amazing family of churches. My wife and I have been here in the city for 17 years now. She helps me to pastor Midtown, previously Antioch. She is also the global missions pastor for all of the congregations. She serves up at North, helping to coordinate those trips and connect with our long-term missionaries. My daughter, Milan, is with us, which, Milan, can you just go with me everywhere I preach? Because after every service, she comes right up to me and she goes, Daddy, you did a great job. No matter, no matter how great or not great it was, my daughter just comes right up and says, you did a great job. Uh, one of my sons, I've got three boys, and one of my sons, he's actually a twin, but Kingston is here in the house, and he's actually here so that he can sit next to Pastor Andrew. <laughs> this morning, as we were on our way out, he says, I get to go hear my favorite dad and my favorite pastor, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> In fact, last night, we had a little bit of a scare, and there was a small probability that we might not be able to come to East this morning, and Kingston was really disturbed by that. He says, you mean I'm not going to be able to go and see Pastor Andrew? He says, can I go without you guys? I think he's in heaven right now. He's like four feet away from Pastor Andrew. Pastor Andrew has loved on Kingston particularly, and man, I tell you, it's not hard to actually build, you know, the heart of a little kid up. Just pay attention to them and encourage them and affirm them, and you've got their heart for life, and use it well for the kingdom. Guys, I just want to say that there is so much life and strength and grace here at New Life East. How many of you guys have been here from day one? I'm just curious. How many of you were part of the launch team? Man, give it up for the launch team to make this possible. And how beautiful is it that the Lord has added to your number daily, weekly, monthly, those that are being drawn in to the house here in the east side of our city. May the Lord continue to bless this house. Cause this family to flourish. Cause it to grow. Cause this house to prosper in the kingdom in Jesus' name. Hey, listen, if you're not involved, I want to encourage you guys to get involved and serve because those who serve and minister in the house, man, you're the backbone and the lifeblood of every local church, especially those churches that have to do set up and tear down. We did set up and tear down for eight years, eight years, getting up early, working in the yoke with all of our volunteers. So for those of you guys who do serve, by the way, if you serve in any capacity in this house, can I see your hands? I just want to see your hands. For all of you who serve, give a big, strong hand to all of the servants in the house. We love you. We're thankful for you. God bless you. Man, so good. Okay, let's get into the word, shall we? 
We have an amazing message coming out of, I believe, an incredible sermon. And one of the beautiful things about the way these congregations are laid out is that we all preach the same text every week. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Andrew and I ran into each other spontaneously at the park. And he said, hey, what angle are you taking uh, on the message? And I gave him a little bit of an angle, and he gave me his angle. And I said, man, it's, it's, like, it's almost like we're preaching from the same text. And the beautiful thing about this is all of our congregations are synchronized around the same text week in and week out. So we're going to begin this morning with a word of prayer. Then we're going to go jump straight to Matthew chapter 6 for our last petition of the Lord's Prayer. God, we just honor you today. We sense the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit alive and active, the dynamic movement of your spirit here in this house. And Father, for that, I give you praise. Thank you for what you have done and for what you are doing here at New Life East. Thank you for the incredible leadership of Andrew, Mandy, Colin, the entire team who give and labor so faithfully. Thank you for all, Father God, who are serving and giving those that are reaching out, those that are pulling people in. And Father, for those that are here today for the first time, we're dialing in online for the first time. We pray that you would meet every single individual in a real powerful, personal way, that you would reveal Jesus by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, we're not going to pray this. We're just going to read these lines. But Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. I love the title of this series, Praying with Jesus. Don't you know that Jesus is right at the right hand of God making intercession for you? He is standing in the gap. He is standing in the yoke of intercession, praying you through. There's not a season or situation in your life that Jesus is not doing labor and intercession on your behalf. Isn't that amazing? And when you and I pray, we're actually getting into the yoke of intercession and we're joining Jesus in that holy work, that sacred vocation of prayer. So Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he says this, Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. In the same way that it's being done in heaven, let it be done on earth. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Push pause right now. Every part of this prayer, it's great, it's amazing. Right? We pray our Father, it's prayers of identity, prayers of sonship, prayers of God revealing intimately who he is to us. I said this at the beginning of our series, that if we don't get that part right, we get the rest of the prayer wrong. Because if you don't know without a shadow of a doubt that God is a good Father, that he loves you unconditionally, that you and I are beloved sons and daughters of God, every other part of the prayer goes off. Right? How can we believe that he's going to provide our daily prayer if we don't believe that he's a good Father? Come on, y'all can talk to me this morning. How can we believe that he's not going to lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil if we don't really believe that he's a good father? Friends, he's a good father. And every part of this prayer, if we're not careful, though, we can turn some of these prayers to be about us in a little way. But when we round this corner and we get into lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, there should be something that clicks into focus inside of every single one of our hearts, like something should be provoked inside of us. Like just a line before Jesus says amen, he's reminding us that we've got a mission in the world. He's reminding us that he's called us into his family, that there is a kingdom that he wants to have come into the earth. 
He's reminding us that he will give to us our daily bread because there are people on the other side of his provision in our lives. He's reminding us that he has forgiven us and we can stand before him clean and bold and confident. He's reminding us to release that forgiveness to the people that are around us because there's someone, some life, some family, some destiny, some people group, some cause, some issue on the other side of us being vessels of the Lord's forgiveness. I believe that Jesus gave us this part of the prayer for four reasons. Number one, friends, we have an enemy. Number two, we have an assignment. We have, actually, we have a battle. Let me, we have an enemy and we have a battle that we are in. Number three, we have an intercessor. So it's not just that we have an enemy and it's not just that we're in a battle, but we have someone who is a faithful high priest interceding on our behalf. And finally, we have an assignment in the earth. We've got a job to do. We've got work to get done. So let's break this down. Number one, friends, you have an enemy. I don't know if you know that, but look at somebody, put them dead in the eye and say, you've got an enemy. Go out and tell them you've got an enemy. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we have an enemy. And the enemy don't like you. Do you realize that? Well, we got a quiet church at New Life East in second service. The enemy don't like you. Maybe you guys are stumbled at the fact that I said don't. The enemy doesn't like you. Okay, is that better for all the people in the house? No, the enemy don't like you. He don't like you. He hates you. And everything about you he stands in direct opposition against. And the enemy don't play fair. He lies, he cheats, he steals, he deceives, he manipulates, all for the purpose of subverting the plan of God in your life. It doesn't matter what he does. What he wants to do is he wants to trip you up, he wants to oppress you, he wants to get you into bondage, and he'll use any means necessary to take you out. He'll bring anybody along your path, he'll give you a job promotion if it means that he can get you distracted and not get you in the house of God. He'll do it. He'll make you start traveling more. He'll, shine. He'll, he'll throw shiny things in front of your face because the enemy's number one goal is to take out those that are made in the image of God. Every time he looks at you, he's reminded of what he's not. Every time he looks at you, he's reminded of where he's going. Guys, our story begins with God creating everything right, perfect, good, harmonious, and just. And then our enemy comes onto the scene in Genesis chapter 3. One of the reasons we pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, is because we have an enemy who wants to tempt us. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, we find that there's a conversation that is had between the woman and the serpent. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat? from any tree in the garden. Do you realize that every part of this prayer can all be traced back to Genesis? Every single aspect of this prayer can be traced back, particularly to Genesis chapter 3. Our Father who art in heaven, you are a good God. The enemy comes in to cause us to question the goodness of God. Did God really say? See, the enemy wants you to question the will of God for your life. He wants to get in and subvert. He wants to intercept. 
He wants to undermine God's good plan for your life, your marriage, your potential marriage, your family. He wants to subvert that. He wants to undermine it. And he does it by causing us to question the good will of God for our lives. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Look at the enemy. He will not certainly die. And listen to the way that the enemy operates. He tries to get us to question not only the will of God, but the wisdom of God. Oh, he's, he's not telling you the full truth. He's not being upfront with you. He's not being honest with you. He's holding something back from you. Isn't that, that, isn't that the nagging lie inside of us whenever we begin to entertain and step into that conversation with temptation? We begin to wonder, does God really have what's good for us? Does God know what he's doing? Do we certainly know what the ramifications or the consequences of this action are? And we begin to engage in a conversation with the enemy. The enemy wants you to question the wisdom of God. And then let's keep reading right here. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's causing her to question the ways of God. So where God has set up our lives to function in the fullness of his favor and blessing when we walk in his will, we walk in his wisdom, and we walk in his ways. The enemy comes in to cause us to question his will, his wisdom, and his ways. And the enemy is not an originator, right? All of his tactics are the same. Like, if you want to know how the enemy is going to come at you, take a look at what he does in Genesis 3 and take a look at what he does in Matthew chapter 4. He does the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, to be tempted by the enemy. Notice he's led by the Spirit. But he's tempted by the enemy. See, God's never going to tempt you. God may lead you into a place to reveal what's inside of you, but God himself will never tempt you. So the enemy comes to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the greatest understatement the Bible has ever made is that he was, say it with me, hungry, you think? And so the enemy comes and he throws out this variety of temptations, this ch charcuterie board of temptations to Jesus. Ah, if you really are the Son of God. Now, wait a minute. If you read your Bible, you'll find out that just a few verses prior, Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. And what does the Father say over Jesus? This is my Son. And the enemy comes to say, now, if you really are the Son of God. See, every good word that the Father says over your life, the enemy will try to come and bring an opposite narrative. So where God says you're forgiven, the enemy will come and say, are you really forgiven? When God says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and the enemy will come and say, well, you might be partially righteous, but remember that thing that you did years ago. See, the enemy's strategy is always to come and give you the opposite of what God has already said that you are. You are my son. You are my daughter, and you are beloved. And the enemy goes, well, lead us not into temptation. Jesus has a few things to say about the enemy in the Gospels. 
In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is breaking down a number of parables, and he says, this is what the enemy does. The enemy comes to steal and snatch what God sows into your life. That's the function of the enemy. So every time when you gather together as the people of God in New Life East, and you hear Andrew preach a powerful word, the enemy wants to immediately come in and snatch what has been sown in your heart. Later on, he shares another parable about a good king that goes out and he plants beautiful things. He plants wheat into the field of the world and he says that while everyone was sleeping, the enemy comes and he sows weeds and tares. So when you're taking inventory at your finances, you're taking inventory at your internal life, you're taking inventory at your closest relationships, you're wondering why it seems like everything is breaking down in your work or in your neighborhood, begin to take inventory because the way the enemy works is he sows weeds and he sows tares. He sows things into your life and into your heart to trip you up. Jesus later in John chapter 8 tells us that the enemy is a liar. Say, the devil is a liar. Oh, come on, New Life. He say, the devil is a liar. He is a liar. In fact, the scripture tells us that he's not only a liar, he's the father of lies. That's the only thing that the enemy knows how to do is lie. There is no truth inside of the enemy. Everything that the enemy does in your life is filled with deception and with lies. And then in that exact same verse in John 8, Jesus says, not only is he a liar, but he was a murderer from the beginning. From the very beginning of time, the enemy has been hell-bent on lying to you so that he can bring death into your life. Friends, you have an enemy in your life and he doesn't like you. But we also know that we pray this prayer not just because we have an enemy, but because we're in a battle. You were born into battle. Say, I was born into battle. You were born into battle. Now, it'd be beautiful to be born into a, a world that was perfectly peaceful and harmonious and everything was set right, but that's not our story. Because when Adam and Eve chose to go the rebellious way of the enemy, they thrust the world into a cosmological battle, and every single one of us have been experiencing the result of that battle externally and internally ever since. Many of you guys know this verse in Ephesians chapter 6. It says that, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil. Look at verse 11. Who do we wrestle with, church? Do we wrestle with our spouse? Do we wrestle with our children? Do we wrestle with our neighbor? Do we wrestle with our coworkers? Do we wrestle with Republicans or Democrats? Do we wrestle with people of different sociological ideologies? Non-maskers, non-vaccinators? Like, no, we don't, we're not wrestling against that. That, that. Those people are not your enemy. Who do you wrestle with? We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, you're in a battle. Like it or not, you're in a battle. And the absolute worst place to be in your life is to be in a battle and not realize you're in a battle. Can you imagine being out on a battlefield running around with absolutely no armor, no weapons, and, and, and believing that there's nothing bad that's happening around you. But to make matters worse, the scripture tells us that the battle is not just around us, the battle is inside of us. Jesus leads us to pray this prayer, 
because we have an enemy, but because we have a raging battle on the inside. Now, believe it or not, you don't love the will of God outside of God. David said it like this in Psalm 51. David wrote Psalm 51 after he had committed sin against Bathsheba, and then after he murdered Bathsheba's wife or Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. David is known as a man after the Lord's own heart. And he, he commits this heinous sin against God. And then he says this in Psalm 51, verse 5. He says, surely I was born in iniquity, O God. Like, I was sinful from the time I was born. And what does that mean? It means that when you and I were born into sin, that we were born as enemies against God. It's what Colossians 1.21 tells us. We were born alienated, estranged, and enemies with God in our mind. Without God, we don't love the will of God. Without God, we don't desire the good wisdom of God. I mean, that's just the reality inside of us. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. It gives us some wisdom on this point. When you're tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. God doesn't tempt you because God cannot be tempted by evil, and God tempts no one. So when you find yourself in that place of pressure, when you find yourself engaging in a conversation that's going to lead you outside of the good purposes of God, remember in that moment, this is not God. That's not the voice of the Lord. That's the voice of the enemy. But look at verse 14. When are we tempted? The New Living Translation says it like this. We are tempted by our own desires. And it actually emphasizes this, our own evil desires. Now, I'm going to preach to myself here for a second because I know none of you in this room have evil desires. But I have evil desires. I have desires to satisfy the cravings of my flesh in unholy ways. I have desires when someone does something wrong to me. I love going and talking about them. That's, it just, I, I have that evil desire inside of me. I have the evil desire inside of me that when someone crosses me and when someone hurts me, or accuses me wrongfully, or betrays me, I have the unholy desire inside of me to just create that grudge and rehearse that situation and create scenarios where I'm getting into battles with people and I'm always the winner, right? I always win in the battles that I create in my own mind, those scenarios. These are my evil desires. I have evil desires to be inflated and to be elevated, to be liked, to be loved, to be powerful. I have those evil desires working inside of me. And here's what James says. We are dragged away and we are tempted when the enemy goes, I'm going to give you something where you can act out on that evil desire. The language that he's using here, look at these three words. You are evil desires and then you are enticed. And I looked up that word entice, and the word actually means to be seduced as with a lure. The metaphor is for hunting and fishing. So for those of you guys who hunt and for those of you guys who fish, you know that in order to catch something, you've got to show something that is good. Come on, talk to me in this house today, New Life East. Right? The enemy, when he comes at you, he doesn't come at you with something you don't like. Right? He comes with you, he comes at you with something that you love. This is why every January when our church does a 21-day fast, this is why people come to the church with things that I love. They don't come and say, hey, would you like some Brussels sprouts and asparagus today? I brought these fresh off the ground. No, 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 no. They say, hey, I just brought some of these mini bunt cakes from, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, because 
I love those things. People are like, hey, we're all going out to P.F. Chang's or Texas Roadhouse. Yes, sign me up. And then I got to sit there and drink water and rolls, right? Because the enemy plays on your desires. My dad was in the army. And when I was in the fourth grade, we were stationed in Germany. My dad was on TDY, so he was out for a couple of months. And my mom had told me that morning before I went to class, I walked to school. And she said, now, listen. Your dad's going to call today. He's been gone for several weeks. So after school is over, I want you to come immediately straight home. As the bell rang at the end of the day, I was walking down the hallway. I was heading home, and I had my best friend at the time. And his mom was my mom's best friend. And he said, hey, man, I'm going over to the Youth Activity Center. Now, at the Youth Activity Center, they had a pool table. They had a foosball table. They had an air hockey table. But most importantly, they had Kung Fu Master. Kung Fu Master was, man, I tell you, it it was like the genesis of Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and all these games that we're playing today. You could trace it all back to Kung Fu Master. And I'd go to Kung Fu Master, and the games at the Youth Activity Center were free. So I loved Kung Fu Master, and my friend said, hey, man, I'm heading over to the Youth Activity Center. He says, you want to go with me? I says, nope, I can't go. My mom told me my dad's calling today. And I need to go straight home. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, your mom is actually at my mom's house. And they said together that you can go to the Youth Activity Center because they're just going to be hanging out at my house. And I said, sweet. I didn't give it another thought. And I went straight to the Youth Activity Center. And I played Kung Fu Master for two hours. Yeah, I did. I was beating every level, every boss, every master. I'm walking home as the sun's starting to set, and the way from home to my house was this long, long street, and I'm walking down the street, and I see this looming figure that's gaining speed and momentum heading towards me. It's my mom. Oh, God, lead us not into temptation. I, I knew immediately I was lured away. I was enticed. And I was dragged away for two hours to the Youth Activity Center. And immediately when I saw the cadence and the pace, I think I might have actually seen steam coming out of her nostrils. My friend lied to me. He's a liar. (laughs) The devil is a liar. (laughs) My friend was being used by the devil that morning because I didn't see the inside of the Youth Activity Center for months after that. The enemy desires to show you things that you already like. And the trick of the enemy is to say, you can have this and it's good for you and I can give you more of it. And once you turn your heart, once you turn your imagination, once you begin to entertain that conversation, once you say yes to that, then the enemy, he jigs you, right? He hooks you. If any of you guys have been fishing in Colorado, fishing for Colorado trout, I think that the fish in Colorado have been praying, lead us not into temptation because they do not bite on your lures in Colorado. Nobody, you're like, we had no idea what you're talking about. All the fishermen in the house know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? This is how the enemy works. We have an enemy and we have a battle that is raging inside of us. But friends, I've come to bring you good news today. Like if we were to stop the story right there, this would be an absolutely hopeless morning. 
Like, we know that we have an enemy. We know life is difficult. We look around us. We read the news. Jade, we understand I'm well acquainted with the battle inside of my own heart. But, friend, today I've come to announce to you that we have a high priest. I've come to announce to you today that when you have fallen into temptation, when you feel the nostrils of the enemy breathing down upon you, you're not alone. I've come to announce to you today that you have someone who is saying, even though the enemy has asked, he has requested to sift you like wheat, to send you a barrage of temptation, Jesus is saying, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that you will not overcome. I've prayed for you that you will not be overcome and that the enemy will not overcome you in your life. I've prayed that you will not fall away. I've prayed that you will not enter into a temptation that is so great that you just throw in the towel and give up on the faith altogether. I am praying for you is what your high priest says. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Friends, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, and because we have such a high priest, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Let us not give up on our faith. Let us not turn into enemies against God. Let us not question the goodwill, wisdom, and character of God. Let us hold firmly to this faith because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is my favorite part of this entire verse. But we have one who has been tempted, say it with me, in every way. Every means every. Which means there is not a temptation that you have faced in your life that Jesus has not faced in some way. He knows what it's like to be abused and accused wrongfully. And instead of harboring vengeance and resentment and unforgiveness, he overcame with forgiveness. He overcame by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He knows the feeling, the allure of becoming independent and self-sufficient. Just turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, no, for it is written. What is it written? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus knows the temptation to take shortcuts, to bypass the process of God, and yet he chose to remain a faithful high priest. Friends, here's the good news today. You have a high priest who knows every struggle you are facing in your life right now. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to come from a sordid, sketchy family, historical line. He knows every weakness that you're walking through, and yet he has overcome. And I'm here to announce today that Christ inside of you is the hope of glory. And here's what he says as a result of this. Look at verse 16. Let us then. Let us then what? Let us then what? Let us then, because we have such a great high priest, because we have a high priest who has overcome every temptation that we have faced, let us then approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence. Friends, when you enter into the presence of God, lift your head up high. The Father wants you there. The Father knows that we are but dust. He knows the sinful tendencies that run through our lives. That's why he has sent a Savior to us, and he says, come boldly into my presence. Wipe reproach, wipe shame, wipe insecurity, wipe doubt, wipe that off of your face and come boldly into my presence. You belong there. Friend, you belong in the presence of God. And here, let me let you in on a secret. It's the only way that you'll be able to resist temptation 
The only way that you'll be able to overcome and stand in this life is by drawing boldly. Come boldly to the throne of grace. For what? For why? To receive grace. To receive mercy. So we draw near. We obtain mercy. And we receive grace to help us in our time of need. And all this matters because you have an assignment. You have an enemy, yes. You're engaged in a battle, yes. We have a high priest that is advocating on our behalf, making victory possible. I love that song we sang this morning. Victory is your name. And this is why this matters, friends, because all around you, there are people that are connected to you that need the victory of God in your life. In the closing chapters of the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, right before Jesus is hauled away and gone through the most brutal interrogation and execution that has been known to man, he finds himself in a garden in Matthew chapter 26. And here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't go to this garden alone. He invites his disciples, three of his closest friends. He says, would you come with me? Will you join me? Will you enter into the yoke of this with me? Will you help me? One of the best things we can do when we enter into temptation is call a friend, phone a friend, send a text out. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm in the crosshairs of temptation right now. I feel the enemy bearing down on me. Will you enter into the yoke? Will you come to the garden with me and pray me through? Jesus reaches out to his disciples and says, guys, pray with me. My, I, my soul is troubled to the point of death. I'm overcome with grief and with sorrow. I need your strength. Help me pray. And he finds out that these guys are not helping him pray, that they've fallen asleep. And in verse 41, he comes to them and he says, guys, watch and pray. Watch and pray. I think Jesus was keenly aware in that moment that there were going to be many other garden moments that those disciples and these disciples, you and I will have garden moments of our lives where we need to face and fight the temptation to close our eyes, to put our head in the sand and to say this is too much and to just fall asleep under the weight of what is happening in our lives and the world. And Jesus says, no, stay alert. Keep your eyes open. Be vigilant. Be watchful and pray. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? And worship team, will you come forward? I want you to know today, you guys, that this is not a game that we're living in. God has not only forgiven you, and not only is he interceding for you, but he has commissioned you with an assignment. You know, when Jesus resurrects from the dead in John chapter 20, he comes back to his disciples, and they're shaking in their boots. They're scared out of their minds, and Jesus walks into the room, and he announces to them, peace be unto you. And then he says this, in the same way the Father has sent me, I send you. And when we say yes to that, we are saying yes to engagement. We are saying yes to the mission of God. We are saying yes to the invitation. Jesus is saying, will you join me in the yoke of bringing the kingdom to the earth and when you say, lead us not into temptation, O God, but deliver us from evil, you're saying, I'm going to go to the garden with you. You're saying, Jesus, I'm going to fight with you. You're saying, Jesus, I'm going to help you overcome the forces of the enemy. You're saying, Jesus, I am going to intercede. I'm going to stand in the gap. And today, you guys, as we pray the Lord's Prayer together, I want to invite you as we get to that line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one with all boldness, with all courage, with all confidence and strength 
inside of your spirit that the Holy Spirit gives to you, I want us to pray that prayer with a renewed commitment and ask God to remantle you. Man, if you've laid down your shield and put your sword down, it's gotten a little bit rusty. If you've taken off your helmet of salvation, I want you today to say, God, you can fasten this armor in my life again. I'm ready to get back into the battle. I'm ready to stop living a passive and indifferent life. I'm ready to engage in the mission of God for the sake of my family, my children, and future generations, for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of my work, for the sake of the God's kingdom coming to my neighborhood, for the sake of those that are in Alaska and Guatemala and far reaches of the earth that have no idea who Jesus is. Oh God, with our hands lifted high, we pray today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we sign up again today. We respond to the invitation of God to get right in the middle of the battle, to stand between life and death, and to announce that the kingdom of God has come. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
friends, take your communion elements in your hands this morning. It occurs to me, as Jade was preaching this morning, that the table of the Lord is where that last request of the Lord's prayer is heard on our behalf. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That takes place when our lives get tucked into the life of Christ and when the life of Christ gets tucked into us. One of Jesus' best friends, John, said, greater is the one who is in you than the one that is in the world. And the great St. Augustine of the table of the Lord said, looking at the elements, he said, believe what you see, see what you believe, become what you are the very body of Christ. What's happening here at the table of the Lord is that we are realizing again that we are that body, that group of human beings who have been incorporated into the living life of the resurrected one and greater is the one who is in, that's right, than the one who is in the world. And so here we are, Lord Jesus. And we remember that on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, let's take the cup together. That's it. That's it. And now let's sing together again. I will build my life. family. So we do this morning. We put our trust in you and we build our life on you, yes. on the love of God, on the love of God. Behold, John says, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And that is what we are. And the reason the world doesn't know us is because the world didn't know him. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is and everybody who has this hope in him purifies himself just as that one is pure. So here and now, we let your purifying love wash over us, making us again what we are, the children of God, the body of Christ. And we give you thanks. Would you open your hands like this, family, and receive this benediction as you go? May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. Remember to grab a gift at Connect Central. If you're new and or join us for New Life Next in just a few minutes, we've got food for you. Give it up one more time for Jay Duncan. Jay, thanks for bringing the word to us this morning. Brothers and sisters, you are loved. We'll see you next Sunday.